You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to John chapter 10, uh, John chapter 10, we're going to read in just a few moments verses 14 through 16 is just sort of a prelude and then we'll kind of come back and work our way through um, uh, some other verses in John 10. But we're beginning a new sermon series this month called Blueprints. And a blueprint is just simply, this is my definition, but it's just simply a, a design or a drawing um, that assists in the in, in instruction or the construction or the detailing or the assembling of something. It's something you follow along uh, to achieve a specific purpose. And while I want us to make sure that we don't just simply look at the Bible as a set of instructions... Uh, The Bible is intended in in its purest form to reveal to us who God is, his creative power, his redeeming power, his rescuing power, the the kingdom that is to come. It is that grand narrative or that grand story uh, of God from eternity, uh, from before uh, time even began as we know it to all of eternity. We can't also dismiss the fact that the Bible does have some instructional properties to it. It does teach, it does guide, it does direct. And so over the next few months, we're going to look at different blueprints each month about different things for this Christian life. And this month's is going to be the blueprint, hearing the voice of God. When Alyssa and I, uh, when she was expecting our first child, Caitlin, and uh, as newly expecting parents, you know, we were receiving all sorts of advice, solicited and unsolicited, right? You know, and you got to read this book and you got to read this book. And, and I remember someone coming to me at one point in, in the, the pregnancy and saying, you need to talk to the baby. And I said, what? You need to talk to the baby. What do you mean I need to talk to the baby? You need to, you need to get down by Alyssa's belly and you need to speak to the baby and, and sing and, and read a story and so, that, so that Caitlin will know your voice and recognize your voice when she's born. And I was thinking, what a bunch of malarkey. I am not doing any of that. But then, you know, you always have that one thought when somebody says something like that to you. You goes, but what if they're right? Right? And so I did, and, and sometimes begrudgingly, and sometimes with a very skeptic or, or cynical mind. And, but uh, Caitlin, Alyssa had a very difficult birth with Caitlin. She had to be taken by emergency C-section, and so they had, they had taken Caitlin. They had moved her over to the warming table area, and I was standing by Alyssa and, and making sure that she was okay. And the doctor finally said, you know, she's fine. We've got her under control. Go see your daughter. And I walked over to that place. And I started talking to her, and that little head snapped. And little eyes were searching and moving. And the nurses were like, keep talking to her, keep talking to her, because they were kind of trying to get her calmed down too, because it had been, you know, an ordeal for her to be taken in that way as well. And and I remember when I recounted that story to some folks, and and I had some, you know, well, you know, in just a few minutes old, they don't really recognize, they don't really understand, they, you know, and, but here's what I know. I know that in that moment, I believed she heard my voice. I know that in that moment, I believe she recognized my voice. She didn't recognize it as, oh, that's my father. <laughs> that's the guy that's going to watch over me and guide me and protect me and make me mad sometimes and all that stuff. But she knew it. She knew it. And sometimes when we talk about hearing the voice of God, we, we kind of get some of those voices 
opposing it as well, don't we, in our lives? Well, you can't, God's not really in the speaking business today. Or you, don't, you can't really hear the voice of God, or you, you can't really discern the voice of God. And the, the, what we're going to talk about today through John 10 is that the first piece to the blueprint of hearing the voice of God is believing that he still speaks. If we don't believe that he speaks, we will not hear him. No matter how hard he tries, if we do not believe he works in that fashion, we will not hear the voice of God in our lives. And John 10 is, is typically called the Good Shepherd teaching or sometimes the Good Shepherd discourse. And, and sometimes with the Scripture, what we really need to do is we really need to try to remind ourselves of the, the context, the time, the day in which these things were being said and, and taught. And, and, and so in Jesus' day, and he's primarily really in the very beginning of this speaking to Jewish persons, in Jesus' day, to begin to talk about this idea of a good shepherd would have perked up their ears. Number one, because it was a very cultural issue of, of the way that they dealt with sheep, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But number two, the scriptures had pointed to the Lord being a shepherd. Right? Psalm 23, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me besides green pastures. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It ends with all the days of my life will be spent in his house. In Numbers chapter 27, Moses has been told by God that he's not going to get to go to the promised land because of his disobedience. And he's tasked with finding a new leader for Israel. How, how about that for a double whammy? You don't get to go and you got to find somebody to replace you. And when Moses, in chapter 27 of the book of Numbers, is, is praying about that, he, he asks God for a leader. Uh, specifically, if you want to look at it this week, it's in verses 16 and 17. But as he's asking God for this leader to be raised up, he says, may this leader be, be strong and courageous so that the people of Israel are not like sheep without a shepherd. Like when Jesus starts talking about this, it would have perked their ears up in a way that probably, honestly, ours don't. And we got to remember that today as we walk through this passage. So let's look at verses 14 through 16, just kind of as an introduction. We're going to then go back to the beginning of chapter 10 and work our way back uh, to these introductory verses. But here's what he says in verses 14 through 16. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. So if you've got your Bibles open, go on back to the very beginning of John 10, and we're going to work our way back to those verses I just read. And we're going to start with the first five verses. And follow along with me as you will, as you will because as we seek to believe that he speaks, the first thing we have to do is to be able to recognize his voice. John 10, beginning verse 1. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep out by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. 
and they won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. In this day and time, and and even actually still today in modern day and time in certain parts of the world, there typically existed two types of sheepfolds or sheep pens. If you had one on your farm, on your property where your pasture was, then it typically was sort of out in the open, and uh, they, were, they were usually made up of rock walls or stone walls. And, but if it was on your property, the only sheep that were in that fold or in that pen were your sheep. But as they would travel through the countryside and maybe travel from town to town, and uh, at, at night they would get into another town or another area, the shepherd would put his sheep in another sort of a communal or a community sheepfold or sheep pen, and he would put them in there with all sorts of other sheep who belonged to all sorts of other shepherds. And that's the picture that is being described here in John 10. Um, from the New American Commentary, a Canadian pastor named Gerald, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher his last name, but I believe it's Borcher. He talked about a time that he was in Jerusalem. And he saw an early morning, he said, I saw the shepherds begin to lead their sheep out of the sheepfold, which contained the combined flocks of four shepherds. And as each shepherd took his turn and began to sing and call his sheep, they dutifully separated from the larger flock and began to follow him to the hills for their daylight feeding. And so he witnessed what Jesus teaches here in these first five verses. That in this pen where there were multiple sheep belonging to multiple shepherds, he, Jesus talks about a shepherd who walks through the gate and begins to speak to his sheep. And so I want to walk through that a little more in depth here, beginning at verse 3. Look again at verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, for the shepherd, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. Let's stop there for just a moment. We'll talk more about the gate and the gatekeeper. Some of your translations say the door or the porter of the door. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But here Jesus describes a situation where a shepherd enters into the sheepfold and begins to speak. And what he says is the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. That word recognize or or listen or hear in your translations is a word that means to hear with intention. It means the sheep, when the shepherd starts talking, the sheep focus in, they dial in, they zoom in on the voice that they know belongs to their shepherd. You know, numerous, numerous times when counseling married couples, I've often heard this phrase, well, he or she just has selective hearing. Right? They're not really intently focused on what I have to say. This is the opposite. The way Jesus describes the sheep hearing, recognizing, listening to the voice of their shepherd, this is the opposite. They are not selective in their hearing. They are intent in their hearing. They are focused. They are zoomed in on catching the voice of the shepherd that they follow. And when I was working through it this week, I I get all kinds of crazy questions and stuff in my head when I'm working through sermons, but one of the thoughts that came to my mind was, what do sheep think about when they're all pinned up? Like, if you imagine a sheep fold, a sheep pen with multiple flocks in it, in my imagination, it's probably pretty crowded, probably doesn't smell very good, 
uh, what little food or, or, or resources that may be there, they're fighting for, they're, they're you know, trying to, one person, one sheep's trying to get this food, no one's nudging him out of the way, right, and all the little ones are just kind of pushed out of the side. And so in my mind, I was thinking that question, what does sheep think about when they're in the, the fold of the pen, is they're thinking, man, I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> I can't wait to get out of here and go to pasture, to go to the field, to go do all the things that sheep do, run, jump, kick, bleat, buy, whatever, you know, I, I don't know. I've never owned sheep. I don't know exactly what they do. But whatever it is that sheep do, I, I feel like when they're in the pen, they're recognizing the voice of the shepherd in this moment because they're ready to get out of where they are and go to where their life is fulfilled. And, and I thought about that. I thought, what would life look like for us if we intently listen to the voice of our shepherd in the same way. Like we get stuck in pens, don't we? We get stuck in folds where we don't want to be. And, and sometimes, honestly, sometimes we get too comfortable there. Well, it's just easier for me to live in the fold, in the pen. Nobody expects anything of me. I don't have to overcome anything. I don't have to deal with anything. I'll just stay here. But Jesus, as the shepherd, is always looking for us to recognize his voice so he can call us out to where we can do what we've been designed and purposed to do. And look at what it says there in verse 3. He opens the gate for him. The sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. This is not a general call, but this is a specific call. The shepherd has a specific relationship with each sheep. Again, reading from some accounts of people who've experienced this, who've seen this in other parts of the world. Uh, one guy said that he had been with the shepherd and the shepherd was going through his flock going, that's black ear, that's fluffy, that's long nose. Like he had a name for each one of his sheep. And they recognized that voice. We're called into a kingdom faith. We're called into a community faith. We're called into the life of the church, of the bride of Christ. So I never want to discount the importance of remembering that. But the reality is we're called into that sort of group salvation by virtue of a personal relationship with Jesus. And he knows you. He knows you. Matthew 10, um, he talks about the, the fact that the very hairs on your head are numbered. It's a way of saying that God knows such minute details about you that he even knows the number of hairs on your head. Now, for some of you, it's easier for God to count than others. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm heading that way, too. My forehead's a four-and-a-half head now, so I'm, I'm heading that direction as well. All right. But God has intimate knowledge of you. He knows you, and he wants you to be able to recognize his voice. And look again what he does. After he calls them by name, it says he leads them out. He leads them out to the pasture, to the field, where, again, they can fulfill what it means to be a sheep, to graze, to eat, to do all the things that sheep do. Now, here's something that's kind of important. John 9 sets up John 10. And what happens in John 9 is Jesus heals this man who's been blind from birth. And he heals him, 
And the Pharisees have him come into the synagogue and the religious center. Who healed you? Why did he do it? They're asking these questions because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They would rather have seen a man stay blind for one more day than for Jesus to break the Sabbath rules. And so they deal with the man, and they don't get anywhere with the man, and so they call his parents in. All this happens in John 9. You can read it this week. They call his parents in, and, and they basically ask his parents to vouch for him, and their parents are they're very noncommittal because they know to really celebrate their son's healing means that they have to celebrate Jesus, and to celebrate Jesus means they're going to get in trouble, so they just kind of get wishy-washy about it, and they bring the man back in, and the Pharisees still can't get anywhere with him, and it ends with the Pharisees kicking him out. They, they were so headstrong against Jesus and his work that rather than celebrate, they kicked the man out of the synagogue. And here's what that phrase means. They basically cut him off from all life in the community. To be expelled from the synagogue meant that everybody else who was of your faith and tradition and heritage, even your own bloodline relatives, they were to have nothing to do with you at all. And so what Jesus does for the man is not only does he heal him of his blindness, but he leads him out of that sheepfold. He leads him out of that sheep pen of religious oppression, of religious dominance. He leads him out of there and leads him into kingdom life with God the Father through Jesus Christ where he can really begin to fulfill his life. See, John 9 is critical to John 10 because as Jesus is talking about this, leading them out and following his voice, he's, he's referring back to all this that's happened in John 9. He's using that as a comparison and as an example. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 again as we talk about recognizing his voice. It says, after he's gathered his own flock, flock, he walks ahead of them. They follow him because they know his voice. Two important pieces here. Number one, the shepherd gathers, okay? And he leads by his own voice. That's important for us because church, as we go about the work of ministry and mission and evangelism, as we go about the work of sharing our faith, as we go about the work of loving people, engaging in our community, as we go about all that work, we need to be reminded Jesus gathers the flock. It's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Your role and my role is to be obedient in what God's called us to do. His role is to gather the flock. And so that's important, number one. Number two, he leads them out by the sound of his voice. There's a, there's a crucial difference in the way it was done then and, and even the way it's done today in certain parts of the world versus the way we do things, particularly here in, in our farming, right? Because we don't lead cattle, sheep things like that, do we? We herd them. Dogs, horses, men, I don't know if anybody uses horses much anymore. They use ATVs, but like they're always herding those animals, right? Getting them on the perimeter, putting them in. But what Jesus describes here is that he leads. That, that, that shows us a very voluntary response on the sheep. That they're not being pushed somewhere. They're, they're, not, they're not having to rebel against that. They're actively leading or actively following the shepherd who's leading them. When I was thinking about it this week, I, I thought of just three examples or, or three distinctions the way Jesus leads. One is that he leads by example. 
In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what Paul really means in there is imitate Christ. He, he doesn't really want them to imitate him. He wants them to imitate the Christ that is in him, and he's following Christ's example. I've had people tell me before who uh, really kind of rebelled at discipleship in the church. Well, I don't want to be discipled by another human being. I, I don't want to follow a man or a woman. I, I get that. And if the man or the woman who's discipling you is not leading you in the direction of Jesus, you shouldn't be discipled by them. But if they're following in the way of Jesus themselves and leading you in that way, you need to be in a discipleship process under them so that you then in turn can, what did Jesus say? Go and make disciples, right? And so Jesus leads out by example. Jesus has never asked anybody to do anything but what he wasn't willing to do it himself. He leads in power. John 16, he's talking to the disciples. And he says, up till now, you've prayed a certain way. But when I go to the Father, you're going to begin to pray in a different way. You're going to ask in my name. And what he's telling them is, I'm leading you. I'm going ahead of you in power. In John 14, in his gospel, he says, I go and prepare a place for you. He's leading the flock to a place that he set up for us. And again, notice how that leading happens. He walks ahead of them into verse 4, and they follow him because they know his voice. There's no picture here of a shepherd waving a staff angrily or getting behind the sheep and doing this to them. And it is simply the shepherd walking and leading and his voice being so powerful and so recognizable that the sheep are following. Look at the second piece of that in verse 5. They won't follow a stranger they will run from him because they don't know his voice. One of the individuals I read this week talked about being in Israel. And the shepherd was trying to prove this biblical point to them. And so he invited one of the people that were on the tour and said, Here, I'm going to give you my cloak and I'm going to let you slip on my boots and here's my staff. And all the things that would have had the scent of the shepherd, right? And he said, go in there and try to lead those sheep out of the pen. And with that scent and with the clothing and everything that the shepherd had that he would normally would have, the sheep would not budge. Matter of fact, the, the guy that saw this said they actually ran to the other sides of the pen. But the shepherd stepped up, not having put any of that stuff back on, not having taken his cloak back or his staff back or anything else. He simply stepped up and began to, to whistle, to sing in his cadence to the sheep, and they began to come and follow him. See, Jesus says, you know my voice so well that the stranger's voice becomes really distinctive, and when it becomes really distinctive, you won't follow it. Matter of fact, what he says is not, it's not just that you won't follow it. Look at what he says. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him. Let's church, it's time we start running away from some voices that are not the voice of God. And they are everywhere. They are in every system. They are in every organization. Unfortunately, sometimes they're even within the church. And it's time we run away from those voices that are not the voice of our shepherd. I, I saw an interview with a, a, a person, a political person from D.C. this week. And uh, 
they had kind of been called on the carpet about some of the things that they had said on their social media pages, things that had been proven to be lies and falsehoods and in some cases even slander against other individuals. And, and here was this person's um, apology. I'm sorry I said a few things on social media, and then they kind of rambled a little bit, and then they said, there were just so many injustices that I was seeing, it's easy to believe things you read on the internet. So their apology wasn't really, I'm really sorry that I lied, and I'm really sorry that I deceived, and I'm really sorry that I did not uphold a, a, a position of, of power and influence here. He, they, they said, I'm sorry because while well, I read it all on the internet, and it must have been true, and it begs the question for us, church, who is discipling us? The, the, the church in its modern setting, if we're going to be really very, very honest, the church in its modern setting really believes, I think, to, to some extent, to be in here for 60 minutes to 90 minutes uh, on a Sunday morning or maybe a little longer if you go to Sunday school, to come back on Sunday night and get 30 minutes of Bible study, to maybe get another hour in the week because you belong to a small group or something like that. We, we really have fallen into this trap that that's being discipled. But what that does is that leaves all kinds of hours and sex and minutes in our lives for other voices to disciple us, doesn't it? And it comes from the internet, it comes from social media, it comes from all the TV stations and the news channels, and it just, it just bombards us. We got to run from that. Listen, if, if your social media, if your news consumption if it leads you to a place of worry and anxiety and fear and, and cripples you, get off of it. If, if, if what you're engaged in is not uplifting the body of Christ and it's not uplifting the kingdom of God and it's not seeking to, to bring others to see the glory and the beauty of, of God and his kingdom, take a sabbatical from it. Be done with it. Run from the stranger's voice. Because part of recognizing the shepherd's voice and believing he speaks to us is not running towards the other voices, but running away from them. Let's go back to verses 14 through 16. We recognize Jesus' voice, now we recognize the purpose of his voice. There in verses 14 and 15 again. I'm the good shepherd, I know my own sheep, they know me just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life. For the sheep. His voice comes here as a representation of unity. I'm, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They know me. Look at the comparison. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So in other words, what Jesus is saying that there's, a, there's an intimacy, there's a unity that he had while on earth Jesus the Son with God the Father, and it's there for comparison, and the comparison is the relationship between the Father and the Son was the, was the relationship that drove the life of the Son. John's gospel, more than any of the others, really details this. I'm not going to read the scriptures, but let me just give you five examples out of John's gospel, and, and you can maybe mark them down and read them yourself this week. But John 5, verses 19 through 23 Jesus essentially says there that the Son does what the Father commands or shows him to do. In the same chapter, John 5, verse 26, Jesus says the Father grants life-giving power to the Son. In John 6, 27, he says the Father gives approval to the Son. 
In the same chapter, John 6, 35 through 40, he says the Son only does the will of the Father. In John 8, 28, the Son does nothing on his own, but only what the Father taught him. The purpose of all this is for us to understand that what he says here in John 10, I'm the good shepherd, I know my sheep, they know me, just as my Father knows me and I know the Father, is that he's trying to get us to see our relationship with our shepherd should be the same relationship that he had with God the Father, and that relationship drove Jesus' life. The approval of God the Father, the will of God the Father, the direction of God the Father, the guidance of God the Father. All of those things and more drove Jesus to do what he was to do. And so he knows us and we're to know him and we're to recognize his voice so that that relationship with him drives us in the same way as he was driven by his relationship with God the Father. He says that's part of that unity. And then verse 16, the second purpose of unity. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. He says there's other sheep not in this sheepfold. Again, connecting John 9 to this is important. Because what Jesus is speaking of here in John 16, that particular sheepfold is that sheepfold of Jewish faith, tradition, religion. And so he says, I have other sheep that are not of this. Well, who's that? Every single person who's not Jewish, which I'm guessing is the majority of us. And he's saying, I have other sheep They're not in that sheepfold, the Jewish faith tradition heritage, but they're outside of that. And he says, I must bring them in. Now, there's two really important pieces here. Number one is he says, I have other sheep. He's laying claim and possession on people's lives who haven't even believed in him yet. You say, how can he do that? We can go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis or in the middle of Genesis. Genesis 22, 18, the promise to Abram. Through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And the word nations there is not nations as defined by geographical boundaries. It is the same word that comes out to the New Testament to be ethne or ethnic group. And it means all non-Jewish people of all races, of all creeds, of all colors, of all dialects, of all life. That promise was made to Abram that many years ago. And so when Jesus says, I have other sheep, he's just fulfilling, carrying on this promise, this covenant that God made with Abram that the Gentiles would be able to know and trust in him. This is the way Paul put it in Ephesians 3, 6. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of the blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. And look how Jesus speaks it there again in verse 16. I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Jesus moves from speaking about a sheepfold to a flock. Why is that important? Because in the fold are all the sheep. But a flock is the sheep that belong to that shepherd. 
And so from the sheepfold of all of humanity, from the sheep pen of all people who have ever been born, will ever be born, will ever live until the time Jesus comes back to bring all this to a settlement. From that time, Jesus is pulling people to his flock. And look at what he says. They will listen to my voice. Listen, this, this, is, this is where it gets crucial for us in this blueprint of understanding that God still speaks or believing that God still speaks. He is saying there are people in the future who are not part of this, who are going to be part of my flock, and they will listen to my voice. Not they will listen to my voice now, but after I'm dead and gone, then they don't get a chance. Not they will listen to my voice now, but a hundred years later, a thousand years later, somebody else's voice will come along. They will listen to my voice. And the question begs of us believers in Christ, do we still believe that he speaks? Are we still listening for his voice? Over the next two weeks, next two Sundays, we're going to talk about the various ways that he speaks. But understand, the ability to hear and recognize his voice begins with trusting and believing that he still speaks. If you don't think he does, then it's not going to matter. I, I, I fully know the difficulty for this kind of topic, right? Because anytime anybody says, well, I heard, the, heard God say, or I heard the voice of God say, or I felt God leading me to. Honestly, like sometimes, we, eh, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'd actually share that or not, you know. Last night, if you watched the UK game, um, Oscar Shibway has a strong, strong faith in the Lord. And they told a story on air, and I'm assuming they had his permission to do this. If they didn't, they probably are in trouble. But um, that last year before the St. Peter's NCAA tournament game, apparently he had a very uh, strong sense. He actually called it a premonition that there was going to be something tragic that happened. And it, it shook him to his core so much that he was actually telling the coaches, I can't get on the plane and fly to the game. They were going to take him by bus, by, basically by himself. And they, they ended up, you know, taking him and, and he got on the plane. And, of course, if you follow UK basketball, you know they lost. And he, he has since said that he felt like kind of the, the tragedy was that, that they were going to have their season ended that way and that it was God speaking to him saying, you know, this is, this is not who you are. This is not the way you're supposed to finish. And I'm going to I have something better for you down the road. And I remember when they were telling that story, I was like, oh, this is not going to go well on social media. And it, and it didn't. I, I got on Twitter and there, there are people, you know, you think God could tell Oscar how to defend the pick and roll? You know, and... And like, and like, here's the deal, man. I, I, don't, I don't know how much God cares about basketball, but I know God cares for Oscar. I don't know how much he cares about the Super Bowl next week, but I know he cares for the ones who are playing in it and the ones who are watching it and participating in it. And anytime we begin to talk about hearing the voice of God, man, there's, there's just, even within the church, there's this sort of default kind of cynical, eh, I don't really know about that. And to be truthful, and we'll talk about this over the next two weeks too, there needs to be some discernment. There needs to be some examination. 
But understand these words from verse 16. They will listen to my voice. Scripture does not give me and you an out or a loophole to somewhere say, well, yeah, Jesus once spoke, God once spoke, but he doesn't do that today. Now, we've got to recognize it. We've got to train ourselves. We've got to be like the sheep in the fold, listening intently. There's there's some effort to be done on our part. But he speaks. And for those of us who are his sheep, he longs for us to listen. He longs for us to hear. He longs for us to follow as he leads. So this is the way I want to close today. What about those who are not yet part of the flock? about those who aren't yet saved? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'd like you to pay close attention. If you're watching today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'd like you to pay close attention. If you've got your Bibles open there, in those first five verses of John 10, he talked about the gate, the gatekeeper, and the shepherd, right? And what would happen in these pens is oftentimes the gatekeeper was a separate person other than the shepherd, So the shepherd would work all day, he would get his sheep into the pen at night, there would be another person who was hired to be the gatekeeper, and they would essentially lay down uh, across the opening of the sheepfold or the sheep pen, and in essence, they were the gatekeeper, but they also became the gate. Like, they, they blocked. So any sheep that tried to get out at night, they would have to go over that person, and so they'd be able to stop them. Or any thief that would try to come in, they would have to walk over them. That's why Jesus says thieves come in over the walls, because they can't come in through the gate because there's somebody blocking them there, right? So if you're not, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus today, listen to these words, what Jesus does in verse 6 and following. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And then look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Jesus, in explanation, says, no longer is there a gate and a gatekeeper and a shepherd. I fulfill it all. You enter into my flock through the gate of faith and trust in me. You enter into my flock through the gate of belief that I am who I say I am. You enter into my flock by acknowledging that I have laid down my life for you as a good shepherd and I've gone to the cross willingly to pay the price for your sin so that you may inherit not even simply eternal life, but look there at the end of verse 10, a rich and satisfying life. While you're still even here, and if, if you're here today or if you're watching and, and you don't have this relationship, I want to say to you, as, as strong as I can from a loving pastor's heart, religion is not the gate. Denominations are not the gate. Being good and moral is not the gate. The gate is the relationship that you need to have with Jesus by faith and trust in him. 
And, and just as those of us who are already in the flock need to run away from those distracting and competing voices, so do you. You need to run away from the voices that tell you that to, to be a Christian is to be weak. To be a Christian is to be ineffective. To be a Christian is to, is to just not have any fun in life. It, it's meaningless. It doesn't have any. You need to walk away from those voices and focus on the voice of this shepherd who says, I have some of you. You just don't know it yet. Listen to my voice. He says, listen to my voice. And there will be one flock with one shepherd. Stop listening to the voice of the thief in your life who steals and kills and destroys. Listen and trust in the voice of Jesus, who may be even right now in this moment, and you, you didn't wake up planning it, but right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit of God is saying to you, it's time to pay attention. It's time to listen. It's time to hear his voice. It's time to trust in him. The blueprint for believing that God speaks begins with believing that he still does today. Where are you in this day? Where are you in this time? What is it that you need God to speak to in your life? Whether it's for salvation, whether it's for assurance, whether it's for conviction, whether it's for peace and comfort and strength and healing, whatever it's for, would you let him speak to you today? Would you train yourself in this moment to hear for his voice? And then however he leads, would you follow him? Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankfurt at gmail.com.